Disclaimer. This podcast features explicit language and discussions sexual in nature. It may contain subjects uncomfortable to some. Please understand the opinions shared on this podcast are not a representation of any organization or employer the hosts may be a part of. So today's subject is pretty spicy, pretty juicy. We're talking about sex work. Which I think it's, we need to again... Every time we are not experts, you know, we have no experience in this field. Oh, but, um, we do have experience in this field. Do we? Do we have experience? Well, that's what I was going to get into. A little bit. Sex work. Just like Bad that. versus good. Right? Wait, like think, uh, like superhero? No, not like, like good versus superhero. evil? Yeah, like, the dark like side. Like the, like, I'm a can, sex it be, can it superhero. be bad for people? Yeah. Or is it overall good for people? Ooh. And and I think honestly, I do have a very interesting experience and um, side to this. I um I think I I've experienced sex work in both areas, being bad and good. Um, <gasps> How so? Well, it starts off when I first started transitioning. Um, I was in South in Florida, so it was kind of rough. Um. Uh, it's hard to get a job there when you're trans and you're not supremely passable. And even if you are, if they do find out you're trans, it's very easy to lose your job. Bye. Yeah. They just find yeah. some arbitrary reason to fire you and yeah. be like, well, you remember that time like three months ago when you showed up like five minutes late and it wasn't a big deal? Well, it's a big deal today. Yeah. So they give you some uh, some kind of reason that's not related, yeah. and that's their excuse. However, I <laughs> whenever I started my transition, I lived in Panama City Beach at the time. I'm sure you know. Yeah, still pretty. I think I was still talking to you at the time. I was going through a situation where I, I didn't have really a home to go to, so I had a person that I was dating at the time, and they um, offered to for me to move in with them in Pensacola. So I, I took up that chance. It was the only opportunity I saw that would be like not homeless, essentially. So when I went there, I, I kind of was looking for a job again. You know, pre-transitioned me, I could get a job, no problem. I get the interview, I knew I got the job. Like, it was that easy. After transitioning, getting a job was a nightmare. Mm. It was so hard. And... It, that's that's why I'm talking about, you know, this relating to sex work because that's where it led me to is I knew people that were into escorting is what's called and they were really good at it. They had been doing it for a lot of years and they kind of took me under their wing and told me about it and told me how to navigate at that time was back page Craigslist kind of thing, mm. which is very scary. Very scary at the time. Um, and I, I think it helped me develop into a, a, a very good escort. But overall, being an escort in Pensacola, Florida, as a trans woman is dangerous and kind of really scary. I had a lot of good experiences. I met a lot of great people, a lot of friendly people, uh, a lot of closeted people. Um, definitely was able to pay my bills, you know. I never had an issue paying my bills. Um, it did help. It did affect me mentally, though, because socially, it felt like 
it was unacceptable what I was doing to make money, but it was the only thing that I knew that would make me guaranteed money. So quick question. Yeah. Was this before like OnlyFans was a thing? Uh, yeah, before OnlyFans was a thing. I didn't know at the time. I think there was like, I think Fancentro was like the main thing, but I didn't know that existed. There were, there were a few platforms out that were, you know, helpful to like market yourself and do like work from your phone. Yeah. OnlyFans, I think blew up after we moved up here. Okay. Yeah. Before I met her, I, I never knew about like the fact of putting yourself out online and only online mm-hmm. and trying to work myself into the industry, which which is, you know, the porn industry, the prof- what what many in society see as the professional scene. Um, and I, I didn't think that was a hope for me. So I just continued. And I was and honestly, when you're escorting and you're making a lot of money, the money is addicting. And also, you know, these clients, they have access to drugs and um, you can get easily addicted to stuff. And um, it's scary because, like, they don't care. They just want to give you money, use you for the money, and then, um, you know, they don't they don't care about your well-being afterwards. But, you know, I and it's funny because I have met a lot of clients that do actually care and it's almost weird because they care too much. It's like they want to be involved in your life. Yeah. 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 Well, and then that, that kind of goes back into that thing with like, are, are you dating or are they a client, you know, yeah. and you have to really s- make sure that that boundary is set with people. Yeah. Some people feel like, like they are dating, even though, even though you met them through client work, they're like they still think that there's a chance to date you, like, mm. and it's like no, we don't date our clients, you know. Yeah. Did you have a question? Yeah. Um, when you were an escort, did you take drugs to try to like help cope with your current situation? At first, I did it. Uh, it probably is helpful to people that are going through this. What what I was on, I was on opiates, painkillers. Um, over-the-counter painkillers and they're offered to me by someone that had access to them and at first I was doing them because uh, it helped numb me to what was going on at the moment when I was doing my work yeah and then eventually I kind of just craved that numbness because it just it just took me out of that out of that mindset of like holy shit this is what I'm doing with my life kind of thing is mm. it, it it like because of the way people portray sex workers, no matter what you're doing as sex work, it's really hard on the sex worker, really hard. And it makes you feel like when you want to have protections and rights that you're just like, you're being unfair or something. Like you shouldn't be asking for these kind of things as a, as a working person in society, doing probably you know, the, the, the job that no one really wants to do, you know? Um, nobody wants to escort really. I mean, I am sure there's plenty of people that, (laughs) that would love to do it. I mean, some people do, but a lot of the girls that are doing this, a lot of the people that are doing this are doing it because they need the money 
or they they're sinking something that they need to pay for mm-hmm. or um you know there's a slight few that just do it because it's it's great it's fun too many people turn to it because they need to yes yeah. which was my experience <clears throat> and it made it a a bad one cuz through it i met like i said i met good clients and i met people um that are scary that took advantage of me and one of my clients did actually um uh rape me and um it's hard to talk about still because i i didn't i i wasn't really accepting of the fact that like i i always saw myself as a really strong person i couldn't I would never let that happen to me. But when I was in the moment, I just, I just saw him as like, he's paying for this. Like he, he has to get what he wants, but real in real reality, if this was my career and I had safety uh, things in place, if I said no, it'd be no, the money would be returned. Everything would be kosher. It would be good. It'd be fine. But because of, there no, um, there's no safety. There's no checks being happened. There's no one uh, making sure that the worker is okay. That like I I just felt like I I couldn't say no, and then not only did I get, you know, taken advantage of, but I had to ride home in in this man's car and think about my decision that I made or the decision that I thought I made and think about like what happened and sit with it. And it was really, it was really, um, eye opening. So you told the guy like, no, or stop. Yeah. Without being super descriptive. Um, he had a really, he had a really big thing. And, um, he wanted to do penetration and I said it would hurt me. And I said, no. And he, um, he was, he just kind of like talked to me and he was like, let me just try it. And I let him try it. And I said, no, it hurts too much. And it just happened anyway. Mm. And it hurt really bad. And I did cry during it. Um, I kind of suppress the whole memory a lot because it's hard to think about sometimes, but I feel like it's definitely important to talk about because I'm not the only one who that's happened to. Because like, it's not okay for it to happen at all, even if you're doing the work. You know, some people are like, "Well, you're doing the work; you're asking for it." But that's the problem right there. Is like that okay. statement, that mentality, that mentality, yeah. I had noticed throughout our relationship that, you know, you sometimes struggled with uh, intimacy and, and, and vulnerability. And I, I had asked you, actually, at one point, you know, had something like that happened. And, you know, for the longest time, it kind of felt like you kind of just blocked that out. Because you, you told me, no, no, that, nothing like that's ever happened. Like, it felt like you believed that about yourself. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, it was really hard to accept to just to think that I let someone um, 
take advantage of me. Like, oh, like I said, I always thought I had really high walls and I was really strong and, you know, I would never let that happen to me. It's not, it's not okay. And it's, and it's not okay to ever feel like it's okay that they did that. Um, uh, and it should be talked about more. I'm sure there's a lot more girls like myself that are trans um, that have had this happen to them that don't deal with it, that don't talk about it, that think it's okay. Like, think, well, it was part of the job. It's just my job, you know? And that's that's some of the bad things about sex work. It's like, for me, like, with that experience and and just, you know, seeing clients, mostly men, for money it just ruined my idea of a relationship with a guy and it made it really a struggle to like have a relationship with the guy and that's what essentially what when i eventually met nikki we, we we've always talked about polyamory at the beginning and we always wanted to have a guy in a relationship and it made it a real struggle because seeing I, what I say is like the dirty side <laughs> of things on, on like the, the naughty things that guys want for just money and seeing how some of them treat women for when it's just coming down to sex and money. It's, it's disgusting. It's hard not to think of, of men as animals. Yeah. Because of that sometimes. But, but on the other side, I have met a handful of, of, of gentlemen that are actual gentlemen. They treat it like you're doing a job. You're a professional. They they treat you like the woman that you want to be treated. They, uh, they they treat it like a professional like transaction. When it comes to the money, it's tr- professional. When it comes to the date, it's very very romantic and very like they take you out to dinner. They shower you with compliments. Sometimes they get you gifts, and it's very sweet. And when it comes down to like physical contact, it's it's all about consent with them. They don't feel comfortable unless they're getting that consent, unless they're having that closeness and building a kind of like a relationship beforehand. And that and those that kind of relationship that is what I see the good side of escorting. Like that can that can happen all the time. You vet these guys out. You vet these people out that want to be clients. That you vet your clientele out through background checks, security checks. You know, verifying their ID. You making sure that they make a certain income or something. You're securing yourself into possibly not getting screwed over, not getting hurt. You know. Um, and like and like to have a system put in place where other uh, sex workers can just go and look and be like, well, that guy did this. Don't ever see that guy. This person did this. Don't ever see that person. You know, would be would be. A, a, That's how black lifesaver get formed essentially. Yeah. And um, yeah, so escorting came with a lot of a lot of negatives. Um, and a lot of positives. It it really it hindered my self esteem a little bit, but it boosted it to a height that I couldn't even explain. Like I felt so remarkably good about my looks as far as transitioning, in, in a very early period of my transition as well. So I can't say any negatives about that. But um, I'm glad I'm out of it. And I'm glad that I I did meet. Um, my wife, Nikki, 
she introduced me to what is I think the good side of sex work, which is just content creation, porn, you know, making videos, uh, live streaming kind of thing. It's it's a whole different world. And I, I never say don't escort. Like I think I think that's a great experience too. You meet so many fucking people. You meet yeah and if you know what you're doing, you know how to talk to people, you can meet some wonderful people. You can network with people. It's a great thing. But I say if you're escorting, you must be doing the video online thing too. You have to be doing it in turn with it because you're just going to make more money. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And, and and it's just with the online thing, it's more of like it feels more of like a, pers- like a boost in your um, self-esteem. Because you don't see, like, like when there's a negative comment, it doesn't affect me as much as hearing a negative comment coming out of someone's mouth in front of me, you know, like. Well, I also know uh, a lot of girls, I personally know a lot of girls that they do escorting and they don't want an internet persona. They want, they would like to reserve time for when they're done doing sex work, they could continue life and not be recognized in places, you know. Yeah. That's fine. Like, I, I totally understand that. Yeah. And, yeah, so it's, everybody has a different experience. Everybody has different goals in these sorts of things. And I don't want it to make it sound like, what are you doing? You're not on the internet, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, <laughs> definitely not. But it just goes back to, like, how society per- perceives sex work, which is just the problem. It's really the big problem is just how taboo sex work is, period. Yeah, like uh, how taboo sex is. Period. It's it's sad that we even have to have that conversation because I feel like people shouldn't have to be ashamed of having done sex work at yeah. you know point in their life. Like yeah, like it's this, what you hear it all the time. The oldest profession, mm. the oldest profession out there. You know, people sold their bodies. It's it's not that alien of a concept. Yeah. Even talking about this makes me feel ashamed. Well, you shouldn't. Shouldn't feel ashamed. I made lots of money. (laughs) (laughs) I made lots of money, and I met. I did meet some really cool people. I've I've met some of them. Yeah, I met. She's she she kept in contact with some of these people. Some of them are genuinely nice people. I've I've actually met some of them. I've met a sailor. I've met a brain surgeon. I've met a pilot. Pilot. I've met all kinds of people. From all different kinds of walks of life, it's crazy. Yeah, I th- it's 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 funny because like, it's funny that I'm doing podcasts now because um, <laughs> they one of the main things that mo- many of my clients would say to me is that they love talking to me, and sometimes uh, a ca- rare occasion uh, a client would pay me, and all we would do is sit there and talk, have an intellectual conversation because I'm so engaging, I guess in conversation and and honestly they are so engaging too it's it's i love hearing about people's lives you and can well, I mean you can sell different types of intimacy not all intimacy is physical yeah. for some people yeah and that's yeah. that's one thing i learned through escorting is that not all intimacy is physical it's not all sexual like some people just want to engage in conversation some people just want to snuggle with that engaging conversation you know yeah um some people just want to go out to a nice dinner talk have some nice wine. That's about it. And it's it's uh, fantastic to meet meet those kind of people, honestly. But, yeah, for me, 
sex work good versus bad for me it's been both it's been a, a good mixture of both it's started off kind of good got rough a real real rough and then I met you and that kind of changed my whole outlook on sex work because I was at a very negative space with it yeah I think when I met you you were done you're like mm-hmm yeah, I, I wasn't no even interested in putting myself online anymore because I just, I had like started an Instagram and I was live streaming on um, uh, one of the uh, campsites and I wasn't doing too well. Um, I was still doing escorting uh, full time and I just was getting sick of it and I was trying to find a job again, basically. And then I met her and she was like, put yourself out there. You're hot. It kind of built because my <laughs> self-esteem at that point was just like shut down. And then she built me back up again. She helped me build it back up again. And yeah, that's my that's my personal relationship with sex. Where I'm sure a lot of people have the same experience, you know, um, maybe even worse. And I just hope the best for them because it's a struggle. It's a struggle. It is. And you've gone places. Yeah. Um, Look at you now. You're on a you're on a well known podcast. <laughs> you know, how did you get this gig actually? Kudos to you. It's because I like to talk. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. But sex work. Yeah. Sex work. Sex work, bad versus good. Um yeah, it kinda relates to me because um I think I've had experience on both sides but um speaking of sex work didn't you put out a feeler for questions i did put out a feeler for sex work questions i can i'm wondering what kind of responses we got let me check my gram i, I put out because i like to ask if people like to ask questions and stuff periodically so fun 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 yeah good way to interact with us I guess. So let's see. We have here, uh, I love you. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. That's a question. Where's the podcast available? Uh, Where is the podcast available, Jay? Everywhere. Everywhere? Everywhere. Just, everywhere. Just drop a few n names of places you can find them. Well, it's located year and there. <laughs> Well, I know we plan on putting the, the video and the audio component on YouTube. Correct. There's Spotify. I guess when you when you upload the RSS feed, it just goes to Spotify? How's I that? plead the fifth. Okay. Well, we'll do some research. <laughs> but if there is a space where you are listening to podcasts already. We'll be on there. We're just yeah. prepare yourself. We're we're gonna get there. Anywhere you can find a podcast. We will include the links down below. Yes. Down below. Or above if you're watching a different kind of thing. Links. Links everywhere. We we also have some uh actual relevant questions here as well. We have we have at what age did you get into sex work? Oh. Oh well for me, I got into sex work. I started transitioning 24, or no, 25. I got into sex work uh, 26, 26 years old. Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, when I got into it, I wasn't telling my clients I was 26, but, you know, 
I was actually 26 when I when I got into it. What? You lied about your age? <laughs> <gasps> oh, come on. I look younger. Yeah, I did too. I, I actually started getting into sex work at 27. Hmm. I'm 34 now. So y'all can do that math. I... I got into it at a difficult time in my life. I, you know, I was transitioning in the military and I, the friends that I thought that I had, I no longer had. So the, the large group of people that I would normally go to for things and help was non-existent. And all that I had available to me were trans people that I knew. That were into sex work. Yeah. And those were my friends. So I started interacting in that community. And I'm not in the military anymore. So <laughs> here I am. I'm much happier. A lot more friends now. So much happier with the the real people in my life that I have today. So there's another one on our list. Um, do your parents know how do they feel about it? Uh, my, I don't think even my parents know actually. Really? Well, yeah. We just don't, I don't have that closeness with my parents. I think my dad might know. Like have a suspicion maybe. Yeah. And I don't think he cares. He's very much, um, in his own world still. Um, oh, actually my mom does know. And I have no idea how she feels about it. But, really? Uh, I did tell her. Yeah. Okay. And this is my mother that I think also had done sex work type stuff at one point in her life. So, I, according I, according to your father. According to my father. Yeah. So. Okay. I I'm not sure how they feel, and I'm not sure if they actually remember or no. So that's my answer for that. Or care. <laughs> or care. Yeah, they probably don't care. Uh, for me, my, my mom definitely knows I've not in great detail, but she, you know, she, she's, she has an idea. She knows that I do sex work. She knows that I'm much happier in my position in life and she's happy for me. I I don't know if she's like, yay, you're doing porn, but. She does feel good that I am am happy and I'm being safe and I'm carrying out these things in a professional manner. She she's happy for me. Yeah, your mom does seem very like open and accepting. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's great. more of like it's it's more of like she's she's not going to be at the the front of the parade holding the banners for me like doing porn but she's she's got your back. She definitely has my back. My parents do not know that I have a podcast. Um that's not <laughs> it's not me keeping a secret or anything like that. Uh both my parents have passed away now. Um my mother has it's been about a couple of months now since she passed. She was actually a sex worker. Oh, wow. Yes. Uh, Before I was born, I guess listening to your stories, I come from obviously like the different side of sex work. 
So my mother was a, she was a stripper and my father was a police officer. Interesting. Um, from my, from my Interesting. understanding, that's, from my understanding, that's you how they met. You were born in a porno? <laughs> You're born in a porno. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I guess, I guess maybe possibly, um, but yeah, that's my understanding is that's how my father and my mother met. My mother was a stripper and my father was a police officer. Um, unfortunately, things did not work out between the two of them. We kept having to arrest her and probably got awkward after a while. We gotta stop meeting like this. Conflict of interest, yeah. <laughs> No, I think as a grown-up looking back onto it, kind of listening to you two share your stories, I believe my mother, she enjoyed the rush of it. I think she enjoyed like the self-esteem boost from it. And she definitely enjoyed the party lifestyle and the drugs of it. Um. When things did not work out between my mother and my father, I I was very, very young. And I feel like her her history in sex work was kind of weaponized against her. Mm. So during the divorce, my dad got full custody of me. He he used to be a police officer. He had a kind of a little bit of a violent history. Um, so I was raised in somewhat of a abusive household, you could say, um, instead of being raised by someone who had a history of being a sex worker. But that, that was like, the, that was the thing though, was, you know, she's unfit because she's a sex worker. And I think growing up in the South, that was, my father and I, we definitely struggled a lot growing up, but everything that would go wrong in our life. So for instance, we were, we were both homeless. And when I was in the second grade for like a short period of time, we were living out of a car. And I just, I just remember kind of being conditioned, like looking back, I can see it. Like I was conditioned to hate her, right? Like, and it, everything growing up, um, for instance, we, we moved from place to place to place in Florida. Um, I remember one time we put all of our belongings in a storage shed because we had to like, we were being evicted out of one place and had to move to the next. And somebody broke in and like stole all of our stuff, like clear, cleared it out. Damn. Um, and I just remember all these things. Like I would be so angry and so mad at my mother who had like nothing to do with it. But that's how I was conditioned. And also being conditioned, like, I did go to church twice a week. Um, sex work was bad. It was yeah. a sin. Yeah. And Is that what they're saying? That's what they said. <laughs> wow. Harsh. And it, it just, it was like, I I remember just thinking, like, okay, my, you know, my mother chose to live this sinful lifestyle than try to be a mother to me. And 
I, I just, I grew up hating her because I would blame her for everything. I would be, I don't have like the nicest shoes or I'm, you know, I'm like, I have like holes in my shoes because, because of my mother, we, we lost everything because of my mother. We're being evicted again because of my mother. And it was, you know, as an adult, I look back, my mother had like nothing, nothing to, do to do with, with that it. at all. Yeah. But I guess the thing, again, this relates back to sex workers because I was placed in a abusive household and I don't, I don't want to like sound like a, a victim or anything. I am who I am today. Um, because of what I went through, uh, I wouldn't be who I am without me going through that. I completely understand that. I did not have a relationship with my mother. I think because I was, I had such a big stigmatism against sex work from an early age. And My mother, after my father passed away, my mother did reach out to me. She did want to form a relationship. It was very, keep in mind, this was after college, uh, different states that we lived in entirely. She lived in Michigan, lived out here in Washington. So time zone difference. Um, She did try to form a relationship with me before she passed away. And it was just something that was very odd to me. You know, like at this stage in my life, like what am I going to do with this yeah. this person that thinks like she's my mother kind of? I, I yeah. know that sounds harsh. No, I, I totally understand. Looking back on it, um, I do wish that I did spend the time to get to know her better because looking back at both my father and my mother, I was a lot more like my mother yeah. than I ever was my father. And unfortunately, the only one that I knew was my father. Yeah. So. Sorry about that. Yeah. It's okay. That's unfortunately, like, that's you being affected by society's negative astigmatism around sex work. Like, you directly being influenced by that. Your family, essentially. Yeah, I... And it's not even, like, the full extent of sex work. It's stripping. And that's like, not at its, its extreme, either. Yeah, that's like, just... Yeah. Like, like, stripping is more broadly accepted as, <laughs> as like, yeah. an acceptable form of sex work, more than more so than, like, escorting porn, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember my mother speaking to me a couple of years ago where, you know, she... And, again, I... I don't know how much of this is true, right? Um, but she did tell me, she's like, you know, I I was just a stripper. She's like, it was completely different back in the 80s. Uh, she's like, oh, yeah. girls girls nowadays, they'll do anything for, for tips and stuff. And she's like, it wasn't like that back when I did it. Um, so I, I just think it's kind of interesting. I... I was placed, the person that I got full custody of me ended up getting full custody of me, I think primarily because of sex work. And I and I will say because of, like, drug use, but my dad also did drugs, so. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like but you, what. But the dynamic there, you have, you have a 
someone with law enforcement background. Yeah. You know, and, and typically females do get custody. Like yeah. it's it's usually difficult, but you know, in your father's situation, didn't she didn't have a chance. Yeah. And ironically, my mother's side of the family is the side that had all the money. Um, her father, my grandfather on that side, he was a very successful um, engineer that got into um, like executive levels of a very successful, very wealthy company. She had the funds and the money. Um, I think... I think they turned their back on her when she went into sex work or stripping. So they, I, I feel like they could have easily kind of threw money around and probably would have got like full custody of me. Cause like you said, the mother typically does, but because maybe she didn't have that support of her family because of her profession, mm. And because, like you said, like it's a law enforcement officer fighting for custody. Um, and again, I don't, I don't know how my life would be different if my mother had full custody. I maybe I would have came from a family that had a lot of money. Maybe I never would have went to college because I would have been like, "What's the point?" Yeah, I'm <laughs> like rich. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm rich, and I I think um, everything that I did in college, like building homeless houses for homeless veterans or sorry building houses for homeless veterans it that was part of me that was something that was very important to me and that was me kind of giving back to society if you will because that was something i i know what it's like to not have a home i know what it's like to kind of be struggling so like i'm now in a place where i can help people so let me go back and help um point of the podcast too kind of kind of the point of the podcast yeah education yeah (laughs) i personally think uh i think your mom would be happy to know that you're putting positive information out there about things pertaining to her line of work her profession yeah i i I think she would. Um, I'm definitely following more in my mother's side of her, like her footsteps than my father's. Uh, my father would probably not like the podcast at all. And he would have been probably super judgmental about it. Um, and I think, I think again, like knowing, knowing people that are into like in the sex work industry, it often does not, like I often think like this was probably just like my mother, right? Like when she was young, wild and crazy and like kind of free love spirited. And I, you can call it like a conflict of interest if you want, But I think for me, I've realized sex workers aren't bad. They're very loving and caring people. They're just like everyone else. There's nothing necessarily wrong with them. 
Yeah. Yeah. We're he- we're all humans. Yeah. It's crazy. It's weird. <laughs> we try to be. We try. <laughs> Any more questions? Ooh. No, I mean, I mean, there, there, there's a lot of questions here, but they're they're mostly like, please send me more feet pics. Oh. Um, Interesting. Know. Yeah. Well. So I believe we have kink jar. Word oh of the yeah, day. kink jar. Kink word of the day, Jay. Kink jar. Kink jar. See. Word of the day. We need a sound Jay. effect. Oh, that's like, oh, we're gonna sing. We should do that. Kink jar. Word of the day with Jay. Actually, that's pretty good. <laughs> and someone can, we good. could sing it. it. Would be great. Yeah. Kink jar word of the day with Jay. <laughs> okay, it's it's official. Okay, I can I can literally re- take that and that just because she said it with the microphone. Oh I can my do god, that I did. Now. Oh, yeah. I can't take it back. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's, it's so so so. What's what's the kink, kinky word of the day? Oh, okay. So self collaring. What the, the hell is that? Self collaring. Is you, it exactly what it sounds like? Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, okay, <laughs> that's it. That's, I mean, that completes right. the well, awesome. kinky word of the day. There we go. That's it. So self collaring. It's self It's what it sounds like. I've heard the word collar. Yeah. yeah. And I've heard the word self. Never heard the word self collaring before. Please explain. I'm very captivated right now. Uh, so <laughs> typically in BDSM, a collar represents ownership. Right. Yeah. Uh, there's even collar collaring ceremonies. Wow. Um, that's kind of like a marriage thing. It can be as in depth as you want, or as the the dom and sub wants it to Why be. Am I so extremely interested in this. This sounds so cool. <laughs> um, typically, you you have to earn your collar, right? Oh, it's wow. not it's not like a oh hey we just met like uh, will you collar me? Like it's a long ongoing process. Um, self-collaring is kind of like the other side of that where instead of a dominant giving you a collar you are putting a collar on yourself but who's okay so <clears throat> like self-ownership yeah is that like or is that like indicating to like other doms that like hey I'm not owned and you can own me so no, that would be that would just be like you not wearing a collar, and this is where it could kind of get a little confusing inside the community because if someone sees a collar, they're going to be like, "Oh, okay, so you're owned," and then it's like, "Oh no, I'm not." Um, <laughs> but uh, for instance, like I'm self-collared. That's what this little guy right here is um, from Eternity Collars. I think I covered it a couple. Mm-hmm. Of You've podcasts. mentioned it before, yeah. 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 Uh, so that was. Uh, I will say a lot of people do self-collaring for different reasons. Mm. For me, this was my way of, um, it was like a statement to society. Like, I am kinky. I am a submissive. Like, this is who I am. Oh, okay. And it was like me putting it out there. Do you think for other people in the uh, BDSM community that they do the same thing? Like, they self-collar with different things than just a normal collar just a state like hey i am kinky this is my lifestyle this is what i enjoy yeah um i do think a lot of people do it i think i think it's a way to express who you are um mm-hmm. and try to like show people that it's you know it's it's normal 
a lot of people do wear like the eternity collars like on their wrist or even on their ankles because it's just like more professional yeah so Uh, i mean like if i went to work with a collar around my neck they would be like i can't imagine why why is that frowned upon you go into an office job and you have this thing around your neck (laughs) your boss comes comes by your boss comes by in like a latex gimp suit just leashes you and it's like come here you did bad things spanks you in the office so it's for me it's (laughs) typical business environment (laughs) yeah it's a normal tuesday normal tuesday Mm mm-hmm uh, so yeah, for me, it's just um, it's just like me expressing essentially who I am. Oh, okay. Um, I did it. I self collared myself. Is this how you do it? So what? So could the confusing no? aspects? I know Nick yeah. is being distracting. But <laughs> the confusing aspects, as far as like, I, I can see how it would be confusing for people that are in those dominant sub relationships that are used to seeing only uh, uh, owned subs being collared so is that like a, a commonly mistaken thing is like when someone's self-collaring they get a lot of questions like oh are you owned like you were mentioning that you're is that like, unavailable is is self-collaring common when it comes to like a collar that you wear around your neck because i feel like that more so dignifies like ownership so not entirely try to break down your questions not entirely sure how common self self collaring is i know for instance like if you go to youtube and you type in self collaring you're going to find youtube videos mm-hmm. by other uh, content creators out there that are explaining what it is um confusing it can be confusing however for example there was recently a dungeon party year in seattle and it they have dungeon parties very often but uh um, dungeon parties for dungeon party. that's cool for this specific I one, I we can definitely probably get you hooked up with that. That's, yeah, we'll, we'll that's continue. Simple. Yeah, I want to know more. I want to know more. I want to know more. Please, oh, someone's we'll curious. Talk about it. Okay, we'll get we'll get in there later. Someone's Just, really curious. Yeah, I'm okay. curious. Um, when you when you go to the dungeon party, first of all, proper protocol, you're going to have to go through like a new member orientation. They're going to oh, explain okay. the rules to you. Blah 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 blah. Um, after that, at the party, you have a choice to get a, a wristband. Mm. And a red wristband at this dungeon party meant that you were not open for people to come and talk to you. Oh, or okay. not open, I should say, for play. Because the first part, trying to remember how this got structured. The first part of the party was a social where you go and you mingle and you talk to people. And then it broke into play where you could go and actually yeah. use vibe equipment. check and play yeah so pretty standard if someone had a red wristband on them that at when it came to the play part it would be mm-hmm. like okay they're not here for play but you they're can not still here talk for to play. them right and in the in the social that's when you can kind of like mingle so i think for like a dominant if they've noticed a collar around their neck and they don't have a red wristband they might just say like it's it's all about communication at the end of the day oh yeah so it might say like oh hey like i see you're yeah. submissive, are you owned? And then you say like, oh no, this is a self-collary. Because also a lot of other dominants, they might might be like, oh, I'm I'm okay if you go to this party and you play wow. with some people. It sounds like, like so. people in the community of BDSM, when they're serious about it, it's all about communication with them, oh, all yeah. about consent, yeah. which 
which is crazy because like a lot of the things that are portrayed about BDSM in like film, it's like the total opposite. It's like, oh, no consent kind of thing. And it's just like. Or consent, non-consent. Yeah, it's like, it's like they never, and they never go over how, pe- how much they care about those, those, the safety and, and the safety in play. And, yeah. And how much they talk about, how much they uh, care about their partner's um, uh, well-being during play. Like that, I feel like that's important when you're going to portray it in film. Self-collaring. Self-collaring. Yeah. yeah. Self-collaring. It's fun. I I guess I have been doing it myself this whole time. I just didn't even know that. I, I wear collars a lot. Oh, yeah. I've never officially been collared by anyone. Yeah. Doesn't mean that you can't. Uh, <laughs> but just putting that option out there. <laughs> but, yeah, that's... It's nice to know that there's a term for that. I just didn't know. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty. I knew about collaring, obviously, but I didn't know there was an idea of actually doing it yourself. Yep. You learn. You learn a lot. A lot of new things about the kinky. That is why we're here. <gasps> yeah. Oh my that's god. That's why we got the kink jar. <laughs> yes. Even but we're learning jar. as we do this. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So. That's the word of the day. Looks like we kind of like, we covered a lot today. Yeah, we did. So. Yeah. If you would like to see us cover more topics or just engage with us in general, we have a Discord available now. Yes. We'll put the link down below in the, the information. So. Links everywhere. Links are everywhere. Feel free to check it out. Uh, we're going to try to be know present there and receptive of your engagement so please please check it out yeah this has been an unnatural to some podcast it's your girl jenny banks signing out stay kinky see you next time nikki sapphire <laughs>